All right, good morning, ladies. I am so excited to be here with you after such a long, long time. It, um, somebody was saying it feels like the first day of vacation Bible school, and it does kind of feel that way to me, or the first day back at school or whatever. So lots of excitement, and it's wonderful to see your faces. Thank you for, for coming and braving these times, and we're trying something new. Um, it's definitely been a year and a half of trying new things, and so thank you for bearing with us as we kind of make adjustments to our Bible study. We've had a traditional way of meeting for many, many years, and I know we're mixing things up, but um, anyways, thanks for just being flexible and working with us. So this seems to be working. Um, I know with registration, you guys kind of just moved right into the, the sanctuary, but starting next Wednesday, you know, we'll, 9 o'clock to 9.15, we'll be outside. We'll have some coffee. We'll come in here. I feel like there's just our idea was that there's lots of room so everybody could feel comfortable if they wanted to spread out or not. And, and so anyways, please feel free to just approach this with what feels good to you. Um, our timing is going to be 9 coffee time, 9.15 will come in the sanctuary. Um, the lecture will continue on till about 10 to 10, somewhere around there. We'll have some time for questions. Back out to the patio if you want another cup of coffee, a little bit of time to gather, and then maybe by 10 after 10, go to your small groups. The small groups are meeting in the same places we met before, so uh, Lynn Lloyd-Smith will be here in the parlor. Julie will be over in Children's Village. Uh, Ruth in the Fellowship Hall and Francie's group over in the youth room. Um, Carol's group, we're kind of uh, fudging with a little bit, so I'm gonna uh, meet you guys on the table, that registration table out there, and let's talk about like what we wanna do this year and just see what feels right for everybody. So that is all the announcements. Uh, we're gonna have some fun things coming up this year. We're talking about a project for the ladies to do at Thanksgiving time and other things that we can gather together as we see what happens with COVID. So anyways, it's fluid, but we're glad you're here. Um, one more thing I just want to tell you as I usually do is the lectures are always on the website, www.villagechurch.org, along with all the notes. So if you're missing or somebody wants to see what we're all about, they can go to the website and watch the lectures lectures. So since we're doing them live, I think they'll probably be up, what do you think, Adrian, by like the afternoon? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if enough people want to join a Zoom group in the evening, Holly Crawford is willing to host a Zoom group Wednesday evenings to, you know, allow for more flexibility, but we need like five people to sign up for that. So that's another piece. So on that note, um, Jack, thank you for being able to just gather us all together. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Good morning. That was strong, I like this. Wow, here we are. It's been a year and a half, is that what it's been? That's absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord God, we thank you that in your mercy and design for human life and all life on the planet, that we would experience your grace and your love. We thank you that uh, we continue to live in this good earth that you have made and that even as we face challenges, you still are there with us to guide and inspire and instruct us and to keep us going. We thank you, Lord, that we are gathered now as part of your family and family to each other. And we thank you for the privilege and opportunity that it is 
to be together, to study, to pray, to encourage and support each other in the things of our daily lives, knowing that you are there with us and sanctifying all that we offer to you. So be with us now in this time to open our hearts and minds to learn your truth and to follow that truth that we know in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Um, let me say just a couple more logistic kinds of things. Uh, we decided it would be best for us to meet here in the sanctuary rather than over in the fellowship, or, uh, fellowship hall where we normally would be. It is much easier and actually better for us uh, to broadcast and to record these lectures uh, and our question and answer time here in the sanctuary rather than over in the fellowship center. It also makes a setup and that sort of thing a bit easier. The uh, all of the different protocols uh, connected with the pandemic uh, have made it a bit more challenging for us to host things here at the church. And so that's one of the reasons that we're here. Um, I'm thankful that uh, Terry uh, and some of the other leaders uh, have been able to plan and, and think about how our time will be. We will see how this goes along and what is going to be the best way for us to be together though, since the context is slightly different. Regardless, the Lord willing, we will be, of course, studying the Word. That's the main thing we're here for, and we're not going to let anything stop us in doing that. As always, we think of the history of the church where Christians sometimes had to gather in secret in caves and still do sometimes, maybe in living rooms uh, or even online so that they can be together and study the Word. So I think we're in pretty good shape here, and I'm not going to let anything stop us, and I know that you are not either. So this year, we're going to be looking at the Gospel according to Luke uh, for most of the year, uh, and then we'll also be looking uh, at Habakkuk and Micah, and uh, you have a schedule there that was uh, given to you. Um, Jan and Neil will also be adding into these uh, times together uh, as schedules allow and, and dictate, and um, so we'll just have a good time. I believe that most of you that I see have been involved with this study before. If any of you are new, uh, we're very happy to have you with us and very happy to welcome you into this gathering. Um, this is not the most formal experience. We don't want it to be. In fact, we'll have an opportunity for questions and comments and that sort of thing. Uh, and then, of course, you'll have a lot of time to discuss the, the lesson and the questions and all the other things that are in your heart in the small groups afterwards. So. Um, Let's dive in uh, to Luke. Um, I know that many of you have studied Luke before. I've studied Luke before. And uh, that's okay because there's enough there for us to look at again. And always as we're looking at a piece of scripture that perhaps is familiar to us, we discover new things and we discover new perspectives, partly because we can't absorb it all in just one sitting or in one time of study, but also partly because we are different people as we come to the text. Have you noticed that as you have grown older that you look at life differently and you think about things differently sometimes? Time. So it's a wonderful thing to come back to these texts uh, and to study them again. Um, a word about Luke before we start reading in Luke. Um, Luke, of course, is a preacher of the gospel. Luke has an agenda in mind. He wants us to meet Jesus and he wants us to believe in Jesus. He's also a historian. He's also a theologian. But his primary purpose is not to teach us history. And it's not even necessarily to teach us just theology, right knowledge about God and about Christ. Luke wants us to meet 
Jesus and to know Jesus and to follow Jesus more, more closely. Now, Luke and Mark and Matthew, as you remember from some of our other studies, all have a lot of the same material in them. We think they had a common source, a common understanding of Jesus. We'll talk more about that later. Um, but they share that, that agenda, if you will, in wanting to share Jesus with us. Luke and Acts, you remember we've also studied Acts individually. Luke. The gospel according to Luke is the story of Jesus. And then the book of the Acts of the Apostles also was written by Luke and it's the story of the church after Jesus. And so this is the largest body of work actually in the New Testament. It's a, it's a, a two volume series, if you will. And we'll just be looking at Luke though this year. So let's do what's always important in Bible study. In fact, it's the most important thing in Bible study, and that is to read the Bible. <laughs> it's amazing what you can learn by reading the Bible. So let's start with the first four verses of chapter one in Luke. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. We're going to stop right there. Luke is telling us what we're going to be reading. He's telling us why he's writing. He's telling us who he is writing to. And he's telling us that he wants us to know the truth about things. Let's set the context of this. You'll remember, of course, that Jesus appeared on the scene around the year zero, and we say it's the year zero because we try to date it according to when Jesus was born. Jesus died and was resurrected around the year 33. I say around the year because in ancient times, as we tried to get calendars figured out, we didn't have all that much specificity. Many scholars now believe that our calendars are off by three or four years. But after a couple thousand years, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference, and it won't make much difference really to our study. But after Jesus died, was resurrected, the church began to grow, and people began to share stories about Jesus. That's what we read in the Acts of the Apostles. Well, as you can imagine, a life as full, as rich, as complex, and as controversial as Jesus' life got lots of attention, and it got lots of conversation and discussion. And so Luke is trying to bring some sanity to that whole discussion, if you will. And he says that he has investigated carefully. He's given serious thought and he's done some background reporting work to discover what the truth is about Jesus. How did Luke do that? Well, Luke was not one of the original apostles. Luke never met, as far as we know, Luke never met Jesus in Jesus' own lifetime. We think that Luke probably heard stories from some of the apostles. He probably had heard from some of those who went out to share the gospel story. We know that Luke himself was from the town or the city, small city of Troas, which is we know better as ancient Troy with the legends of Helen of Troy located in the north part of modern day, uh, modern day Turkey. And so Luke is really a second generation Christian. 
And so what he's telling us is what he has heard and what he believes and what he knows, but he's not an eyewitness to those accounts. We also think that Luke used some of the preaching perhaps of Peter or some of the early documents that were being shared about Jesus because a lot of what's in Luke is similar to Matthew and Mark and they used similar documents, perhaps the same one. Maybe a lot of what Luke says to us is based on what Mark had actually written. But we know that there were other gospels, there were other stories of Jesus that were circulating at the time. And so we're going to be interested in what Luke says that's unique to Luke and what Luke says that is common to all of the others. It's also important that we understand who Luke is writing to. He says he's writing to Theophilus. Anybody here named Theophilus? Have you named any of your children Theophilus? Maybe your dog or your cat or your goldfish, I don't know. Theophilus is a great name. Of course, it's Greek and it puts two Greek words together. You already know those words, actually. Theos or Theos means God, right? Theology is the study of God, knowledge of God. So we know that Luke is writing to somebody who's interested in God, Theophilus, we get from the term Philadelphia, or phileo, or philanthropy, or philandering. Phileo is all about love. Luke is writing to someone named Theophilus who is a lover of God, or maybe Luke is writing to all people who are lovers of God. We don't know for sure if Luke had one person in mind or if he had many people in mind. But I think it's important for you and me as we read this introduction to think about the fact that we love God in some way, shape, or form. And so Luke is writing to us. He's writing so that we'll have an orderly account of everything that went on in the life and times of Jesus that is important for us to learn the truth. Now, let's go back into what a gospel is. We say that we're looking at the gospel according to Luke. A gospel just like Matthew and Mark and John, a gospel is not simply history. There's a whole lot about Jesus' life that we don't know. We know something about his birth, and then there's a whole lot of years in there that we hardly know anything, and then we know about the last three years of Jesus' life. This is not a chronology. It's not a biography. It is a gospel. It is telling us the most important things that we need to know about Jesus, not everything that you could know about Jesus. It's telling us those things with a purpose in mind, the purpose of helping us meet and know Jesus. All of that is crucial to us. So we think that perhaps Luke as a gospel, as a document was written uh, sometime maybe 30 or 40 or maybe even 50 years after Jesus had died and was resurrected. And so the church, people like Luke and others like him, have had some time to think and to discuss and reflect on the events of Jesus' life and on the words that Jesus spoke and the things that Jesus did and come to an understanding of who Jesus was. Does that all make sense to you? 
Some of us love to study history. I'm a great fan of history. And when historians sit down to write the story of somebody else, somebody who's important, they usually have tons and tons of material to sift through and they have to decide which documents are important, which events are important. And then historians write their stories about somebody else and then they argue about which events were important and what they meant and what exactly was going on in the life and times of the person that they were talking about and about the impact of that person. That dynamic applies as we're thinking about the life and times of Jesus as well. So all of those factors will be important to us as uh, we read through the gospel according to Luke. Now, we're going to do violence to the text as we move on. And by that I mean that we are going to, we're not going to take the text as it occurs in the literature itself, but we're going to skip over the rest of chapter one and all of chapter two. Why do you think that is? Do you remember what's in the rest of chapter one and all of chapter two? It's the story of Jesus' birth. It's the story of Jesus' birth. In fact, it's only Matthew and Luke who tell us anything about the story of Jesus' birth. We're going to skip over that for two reasons. One reason is simply because of the way you and I kind of go through the cycle of church life, right? It's only September 15th, and even though Christmas things have been on the shelves for three months now, and you're already behind if you're not yet ready for Christmas, I think that in our minds <laughs> that, that we are not yet ready to talk about Christmas. And so we're reserving the rest of one and two for when we get closer to Christmas. I think we'll pay closer attention to it. But there's another good reason, and it's actually a better reason, that we skip over the birth stories of Jesus. And that is because the stories about Jesus' birth were stories that were collected and, and put together long after, probably, long after Jesus was gone. The important story, the most important story about Jesus is not the fact that he was born, but about what he did with his life. All four of the Gospels spend a significant amount of time speaking about the passion, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, the death, and then the resurrection of Jesus. That's the important story about Jesus. Now, you can say that if Jesus had not been born, that we wouldn't have had all the rest. Well, of course. But in the early church, the focus was all on the end of Jesus' life, not the beginning. In fact, it was so important to talk about the end of Jesus' life, more so than the beginning, that Mark and John really don't talk about it. John gives us a little bit of theology about the beginning of Jesus' life. You've heard that so many times before. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's not telling us the details of Jesus' birth. That's telling us theologically the significance of Jesus' life. So we're going to skip over those first uh, couple of chapters, other than in this introduction. And we are going to start in Luke, where all of the evangelists, all of the gospel writers start with the story of Jesus and where most people in the ancient church, the original church, would have started the story of Jesus. And that is starting with chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, as we begin to talk about John the Baptist. So let me read this section for us. It's 20 verses long. But as I've said, the most important thing that can happen in Bible study is to read the Bible. And so let's read it again. Let's let it seep into our lives. 
In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, they asked John, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them, saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. There's a lot of stuff here, isn't there? I have to tell you that I, I'm, I'm going to tell you already uh, what my plan is for my very last sermon that I'll ever preach. It's going to begin with a quotation from John, you brood of vipers. <laughs> Can't wait to do that. <laughs> the truth is that whenever I preach that, that will be my last sermon. <laughs> Let's look a little bit more at the historical context in which John is now ministering. We know that I, we can't rehearse all of the history of the nation of Israel, but Israel has existed as a people with a conscious identity for 
maybe a thousand years, probably 1300 years, maybe even going all the way back to the time of Abraham, maybe 15 or 16 or 1700 years. They've had a long history that we've studied here before as the family has grown, as the family has developed and become 12 distinct tribes and been enslaved in Egypt and then rescued from Egypt and moved into the Holy Land and then become a kingdom and then be destroyed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and then come back to be a kingdom but then occupied and conquered by the Roman Empire. And through all of that history, especially as the nation was struggling to survive and eventually did not survive, God raised up great prophets to speak his word into the life of the people, to challenge them because of their unfaithfulness, because of their unrighteous living, to offer to them a relationship with him again as they turned their hearts to him. You've read a lot and heard a lot from those prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the others. Well, now Israel exists as a mere shadow of what it once had been. The people are restless, they are tired, they are oppressed and imprisoned by the Romans, and their own religious system is corrupt. It's the Romans who've put the kings over Israel in power. It's the Romans who've agreed to who the high priests would be. And the people, once again, as they have for so many years, so many centuries, they're looking for somebody for something from God. And so John the baptizer appears on the scene. I say John the baptizer, not John the Baptist, because that's really a better translation of the words that were used to describe John. John was the one who baptized people in the Jordan River. He was not a Southern Baptist, okay? Sorry if I've burst somebody's bubble here. <laughs> not that I have anything against Southern Baptists, but John was the one who baptized. And his message to Israel knocked him upside the head. You brood of vipers. <laughs> He's getting their attention and they're paying attention to him. Let's think just a little bit about John's message to the people. What does John say? He says, look, God is going to show up again. We're going to make a path for God. We're gonna raise the low places and lower the high places and create a straight path for God to come be with us and for us to come back to God. John is quoting here from many of the ancient prophets. John is such a powerful preacher and such a powerful personality, kind of pricking the conscience of all those folks who know that things are not right that they go down to the Jordan River where he preaches. Now, for John to go to the Jordan River would be equivalent to somebody in, let's say, American political culture, for somebody to go back to the Liberty Bell or back to Boston Harbor where they threw the tea in the harbor or maybe back to Mount Vernon to George Washington's home. John has gone to that place in Israel's history that was so crucial to them, the Jordan River. It was through the Jordan River that the Hebrew people had entered into the Holy Land. And now it's in the Jordan River that the people are going to be baptized by John. It's a baptism of repentance. John says to the people, turn around, open your eyes, let's go a different direction. 
And so the crowds begin to listen, actually. Some of them say to John, they say, we are part of the family of Abraham. We have Abraham as our father. We're good with God. We don't need to worry about anything else. And John says, no, that's not it. He says, you are not living according to the way that God taught you to live. Do you notice what some of the heart of John's message is here? Look at verse 11. The people say, what should we do? And John says, if you have two coats, you have to share. If you have food, you have to share. If you're a tax collector, you need to be honest. If you're a soldier, you need to be honest. The heart of John's message was a message about restoring the righteousness of the people of God in their relationships, not just with God, but also with each other. The whole of society, in a sense, was corrupt. Now, we might see modern-day parallels in that, mightn't we? <laughs> of course we do. That was very much the heart of John's message. And then, of course, John said there's something else that's going to be happening in human history. It's going to happen in your lifetime. Now, as we go back and look at the stories of Jesus' birth, you remember in chapter 1 of Luke, we're going to hear about Zechariah and Elizabeth, John's parents. Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, Mary the mother of Jesus. John and Jesus are cousins. John is going to say to the people, let's open our eyes because something big is going to happen here. The Savior is going to come. He's going to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to baptize you with water as a little human thing going on over here, a sign of our devotion, a sign of our turning around and paying attention to God. But he's going to do something completely and totally different. That was the heart of John's message. Now, there's a lot of interesting uh, history then of John that's told later on in Luke as well as in the other uh, Gospels, John the Baptist. We know that John the Baptist got into serious trouble with the government. John the Baptist called out the sinfulness of Herod, the current king of Israel. Now, Herod and his family ruled over different regions. That's whole, the whole business of uh, the Pontius Pilate and Herod, the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, and then uh, the others. Herod as a king was incredibly corrupt. He murdered his own people. He stole his brother's wife, Herodias. Herod later on is going to have John executed and his head brought to him on a platter. Do you remember that story? Yeah. So John the Baptist was called by God to serve him and to preach his gospel, and it got him killed. That's the story of John the Baptist. But of course, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, is the precursor to Jesus. In a sense, it's like he's softening up the crowd, <laughs> getting, ready, getting them ready to hear Jesus' word. But he's not only doing that, he's helping them to see the error of their ways and of their thoughts and be open to something new that God would be doing. And so that's a question that is important, not just for the people of that time and that context, but it's also an important question for the people who are hearing and reading the gospel according to Luke. Most of the people who would have encountered this story that Luke has written are going to be people who will hear the story. They're going to hear the whole story probably read all at once. We, of course, usually sit down and read the story. 
we might have done well to start by reading the entire gospel together. That would have taken a while, of course, but that's okay. It's a big and important story. But as John tells us about how God prepared the people for the Messiah by knocking them upside the head with their own sin and confronting them with the status of their situation as individuals and as a community of people before God, Luke is also helping us to prepare to hear the story. He's helping us to evaluate who we are and what we are before God. We don't always pay attention to God. We don't always follow God's way. We do not always act in the way that God would have us act in righteousness and in justice with others. And so this is preparing us to hear what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately our purpose of being here is to have an encounter with Jesus. Now, it's fascinating to learn the content of what's in the gospel according to Luke. It's, it's a wonderful thing to do. I love to do it. I can talk to the cows come home with you about all the different things that are there in Luke. But at the end of the day, if we do not meet Jesus, and if we do not have our, our relationship with God, and if we do not grow in our relationship, and if we do not begin to change our ways and live in the way that God wants us to live, the rest of it makes zero difference. I know biblical scholars who know far more than I even know there is to know about the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. They don't follow him. And so all that knowledge is fine, but it's useless. I want you to have useful knowledge. I want all of us to have that. And so I want us always to be asking the question of the text that we're reading, what does this say now to me? We need to understand what it said to those who first wrote it, those who first heard it within its own context. We need to try not to import our meaning back into it and make it say things it does not say. But once we've understood what it says in its own time, in its own way, then we need to think about what it means to us today. Does that make sense? Let me stop there. And let me ask if there are any questions. And here's how we're going to try this so that we can hear everybody, so that we can have it recorded well. If you have a question or a comment or something, I'd like to ask you to come to this microphone here at the front. Okay. If you are thinking, oh, here we go. God bless you, my child, the first brave soul. You can pull your mask down if you want to so we can hear you better and get right up to the it's, mic. Yeah. It's not exactly a question that I have. It was something that hit me when John the baptizer was talking about, I'm baptizing you with water, mm -hmm. but he who comes after me is going to baptize you with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very interesting how he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and yet it hasn't been revealed to us yet, and yet mm -hmm. that was his first revelation of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that really impacted me. Mm -hmm. So it's not a question, it's a statement. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, thank you for yeah. that statement. And I'm the first one up, girls, so come on up. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you get an extra helping of dumplings today. Um, let me say just a little bit about that. Thank you. Uh, this, this is where the study of Scripture is, is so impactful on us. We have to think about what is that saying to me. So I'm glad that you shared that. 
The Bible has a long conversation about the Holy Spirit, which is really a different way of us thinking about who God is and what God does, right? We, we believe Father, Son, and Spirit, all the same God, different ways of our experiencing God and understanding God's movement. The book of Genesis starts with a conversation about the Spirit. The Spirit of God moves over the face of the waters to bring order and creation. So we encounter the Spirit at the very beginning. And all through the Old Testament, the Spirit pops up every once in a while, especially as we hear from the prophets. The Spirit of God comes to Isaiah or to Jeremiah and says, I want you to say this to the people. Now, in the time of, of, uh, of Jesus, the, the Jews understood that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit shows up every once in a while, usually to one person to accomplish a great task. And that's how they understood John the Baptist. Oh, the, John's got the Spirit. He's in touch with the Spirit, okay? Now, that's true. All of that makes perfect sense. What happens in Jesus' lifetime is that as Jesus begins to preach and to teach, he says the Spirit of God is everywhere. Later on in Luke, Jesus will say the Spirit of God is upon me to, uh, to uh, preach good news to the captives, right? Now, as the story unfolds then in Luke, what happens is that after the resurrection, remember the disciples are gathered together in the upper room and the Holy Spirit is given to everybody. This is a transition in the way that people understand the presence of God in their lives. That's one of the reasons Jesus is so important in the history of our understanding of our relationship with God, is that before Jesus, most people thought that they could have a relationship with God only through the, the, uh, the mediation of someone else. They could, under, they could hear from God only through what someone else said to them who particularly had the Spirit. But with the gift of the Holy Spirit to the whole church, everybody has equal access, if you will, to God. Everybody has equal access to the power of God. And everybody is responsible to pay attention to the Spirit and to invite the Spirit into life and to live by the power of the Spirit. We can't excuse ourselves by saying, well, I'm just a run-of-the-mill, average, ordinary, everyday believer. It's, it's the, the, the priests or the scribes or the ministers who are supposed to know everything about God and make everything right with God. No, Christianity becomes an extremely egalitarian religion, if you will, even more so than Judaism. Now, that does not mean to say that the Jews did not also believe that an average person could have an experience of God. But they were not as clear on that as it became to us in the life and times of Jesus. And so with John the Baptist, we begin to hear that conversation. When John says Jesus is going to baptize you with spirit, what he means is that Jesus brings the spirit of God to bear in our lives in a very unique and special way because Jesus is God. And then through that relationship with Jesus, we begin, we begin to have the same relationship with God that Jesus, the human being, had. A direct relationship with the Holy Spirit. So thank you for mentioning that. And you still, oh, we have one more brave person in the audience who's coming forward. <laughs> 
So this uh, speaks to what you were saying about how um, the Bible speaks to us at different times in our lives. Mm -hmm. So it occurred to me um, that we're much more used to hearing the words of Jesus um, to take care of the sick, the poor, the widow, or Old Testament versions of that. But people very rarely quote those words of John about honesty and taking care of each other. And that's something that I don't think I'd ever noticed as I read that before. Yeah. And it made a lot more sense to me today. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Thank you for that. Yes, so often we think of Jesus telling us, take care of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the, the foreigner among us. Um, John here, of course, is quoting from the Old Testament prophets, as Jesus often did. But when we read the story about John, usually what people focus on in John, at least or what I focus on, uh, I begin with this simple fact that his diet was horrible, okay? Now, I love honey. I'll eat honey straight out of the jar. That's great. But locusts ain't no way in God's green earth that's going to happen, okay? We actually had a Bible study. Our Monday evening Bible study group here a couple of years ago had a biblical meal, and one of the people in the group found that you could actually uh, mail order locusts. And, and we had a little potluck over in the uh, kids' village there for a few, uh, little while, and, and, and she brought a frying pan, and she offered me fried locusts. And I consigned her to the depths of Hades for, for no, <laughs> I'm not going to eat bugs. We focus on, on that fact about John. We focus on the fact that he wore a coat of camel's hair. We focus uh, on the fact that he was the precursor of Jesus. We focus on a lot of things. But a lot of John's message to Israel was, guys, get your act together and treat each other the right way. And notice, I mean, it's a long conversation. The tax collectors came to him. The soldiers came to him. In some ways, John's ministry had the same outline and shape and impact as Jesus' ministry did. In fact, it's an interesting conversation. Some people think that John the Baptist, in a sense, was a rival of Jesus's. And that some people thought, and, and this apparently was the case, some people in the first century who heard John's preaching and then heard Jesus' preaching, they decided that John actually was the Messiah. Because later on, John's followers come to Jesus' followers and ask Jesus John's question, that is, are you Jesus the Messiah? And one of the reasons we think that question was there was because some people were trying to say John was the Messiah, and John was not. That's one of the reasons John goes to great lengths here to say, I'm not the Messiah. I baptize with water. Jesus baptizes with spirit. But John's message in a sense, was identical to Jesus' message, which should not surprise us in the least. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God that is speaking through them and working through them. John was not God. Jesus was. John was not resurrected into eternal life. And John did not come back out of the grave. His head was chopped off. That's the end of it. John is done. Now, of course, we believe John was given the gift of eternal life, but he didn't start walking around on earth again, put his head back together, and show up to the disciples, did he? That's reserved for Jesus. So thank you for highlighting that for us. Good. We have time maybe for one more brave soul to take this opportunity to get a little bit better accommodations in heaven later on. No. <laughs> Okay, cool, cool. Uh, what we're going to do is ask you now 
We have some refreshments for you. The whole food thing is very interesting and very different here. Um, we're, we're being very careful about bringing in a lot of outside food to the campus yet as we used to, uh, especially for this group. Uh, I personally am devastated by that news. That's the only reason I ever came to women's Bible study was to eat all the great stuff that you brought. But we've got some food out there for you. We, we encourage you to uh, mingle for, for a little while. As you're eating, it is safest if you stay a little bit away from each other because your mouths are open and all kinds of cooties are coming out. Um, and then in about 15 or 20 minutes, uh, if you don't know where your small group is going to be, find Terry, find Holly. Don't ask me because I have no clue. At any rate, let's have a quick prayer before we go. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, the gift of your word, the gift of your presence in our lives right here, right now. May we continue to be open to how you are moving and leading us into abundant life today as we follow Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here.